Good morning. I just had a new experience. I got to look at all of you, the, the backs of all of your heads. I was in the expensive seats back in the back because the, uh, the cheap seats up front here are all taken. And uh, yeah, it was an interesting new experience. Hey, if you are new with us, we've been in this series called Foundations. We're studying Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And uh, just looking at how the first couple chapters of the Bible really talk about the major issues in our culture even right now. So if you have a Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and, and if you've been here for the last few weeks, you might think, man, we've, we've done Genesis 1, 26 a few times. This is not your typical uh, expositional verse-by-verse go-through sequentially through a book of the Bible, which is what we typically do. What I'm doing is pulling some major themes and some major ideas out of these first few chapters of Genesis and then relating them to specific issues. And so um, I'll just to bring us all up to speed and really to show us the progression and also where we'll be at today, just think about it in this way. Like the very first week, we talked about those first three words or four words in the beginning, God. And we said that's the foundation of everything. The fact that God exists is the foundation of everything in life, it's the foundation of a, a, a Christian worldview. In the beginning, God. And because God exists, then God has authority. So God gets to make the rules. God gets to write the playbook, and he's given us the playbook in the Bible. He's given us the rules to follow. God gets to be in charge, not us. And so then everything that follows is God's design. We said that God created. By God creating, it shows us that he has a design, that God has a blueprint. In fact, Genesis 1 and 2 is the blueprint for how life is supposed to work for human flourishing, for relationships between different people. That Genesis 1 and 2, through God creating, shows us how we're supposed to live. Then we started talking about maybe some of those more controversial issues related to, like, mankind. And we said that man was made in the image of God, and that's how we all find our identity and our value. In a world that's telling us that our identity and our value come from so many different things, God says right at the beginning of his book, no, Your identity is found in the fact that you were created in my image, created in the image of God. So then we said that God was created, that God created mankind male and female. That got a little controversial, didn't it? Right? That God created male and female, and that's the foundation for gender. We don't get to make up those rules. Culture doesn't get to make up those rules. Advances in science or anything like that doesn't make up those rules. That God's word makes up the rules for gender. That God created man and woman. And then we said last week in marriage that God created man and woman for each other. And that's biblical marriage. One man and one woman. One biologically created heterosexual man and one biologically created heterosexual woman married to each other. And that's the foundation for marriage. And all of those things show us how life is intended to work properly. And then all of that sets the stage in logical progression for where we'll be at today, where we'll then look at how man and woman relate to the world around them. How does the first man and the first woman relate to the world that God placed them in? What are the roles and the responsibilities that God has given to mankind? What are the roles and responsibilities that God has specifically given to men and specifically given to women? And as a matter of fact, those things are also found right in the first two chapters of Genesis. So as we look at those today, 
We're going to look at 126 through 225 again. We'll skip some verses and pull out some important pieces from different ones. But what we'll look at first is how God created mankind to relate to creation. And that's 126 through 31 is how God created us as men and women, as people, to relate to his creation. So let's dig into that in 126, it says, And God said, and we've read these words a couple of times already, Let us make man, mankind, in our image, after our likeness, and then let them have dominion over the fish. And I want you to think about that word dominion. It'll show up again in a couple of verses. Over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Those first few verses, as we've said, teach us that men and women are equal. Men and women are created equal with regard to our existence, our, our personhood, with regard to our identity, with regard to our value. That word equal is very important. That all people are created equal. Then in verse 28, we'll see something else. It said, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given you every green plant for food, and it was so. And if you're here today and you're a vegetarian, there's your verse. You're welcome. I have knocked vegetarians from this stage because Acts 10 says that rice, Peter, kill, and barbecue. And we love that verse. I love that verse, right? Amen. Use a Traeger. It's in the original language. Traeger is in the original Greek language right there. But here's your vegetarian verse. And it's interesting because you see that like, God had given them some things. That God had given them dominion. And we're going to talk about what? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it and have dominion. What are those five commands? Those five, that five-fold command. What does that mean and what does that look like? But I want you to realize that in Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 31, and we'll pick up the last verse right there. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. God looked at all that he had created, and he said, I'm happy with this. This is a good thing. And in Genesis 1, 26 through the end of the chapter, he's talking about mankind, man and woman, together. And what they've been given to do. And so men and women are created equal with regard to their identity and their value. But they're also created equal with regard to purpose. Genesis 1.28 is often known as what's called the cultural mandate. God gave a command to the first man and woman, to Adam and Eve. Some aspects of this were specific to Adam and Eve. Because if you're the only two people on earth and you want to have like you know society and culture and things moving forward, there's some things that need to happen right? You need to be fruitful. You can imagine what that means and, and multiply. We get it. You need to fill the earth and you need to subdue it. And you need to have dominion. There were some pieces of this that were specific to Adam and Eve. They needed to start having kids and then they needed to start having more kids and more kids and a lot, lot, lot more kids. And some of you are like, amen, I am totally on board with that. And you have a verse. You should be excited about that. And for Adam and Eve, it was about creating not only kids, but it was about creating culture, right? 
they had to, Adam and Eve had to figure things out, like how do we make fire? How do I make implements to, to do my work in this garden, right? I don't know if they had a rototiller. I'm not sure what they had, but they had to figure it out. And so they were intended to be creative. They were intended to have some ingenuity and, so, and to figure out some of those different things and to be productive. That was actually part of what we know as the cultural mandate. But here's the other side of that, is that Adam and Eve, as the only people on earth at that time, I believe, are representative of people from then on out. And so the cultural mandate in Genesis 1.28 tells us something about the purpose that God has given to all people. It tells us something about the things that we're supposed to do and the way that we continue to propagate society and move culture along. That as we zero in on 128, and it says God blessed them, that he was giving them a good work to do. That he was giving them a good purpose to fulfill. That God didn't just take people and put them there and give them nothing to do and give them no purpose. God didn't just do it all for them. That God knew that as people, we will flourish when we have a purpose. And Genesis 1, 28 is the foundation of the purpose that we were created for. To be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over all of creation. This is the way that I would um, summarize, in my words, the cultural mandate. Genesis 1, 28. That God has called mankind, people, to take responsibility for the growth the order and the flourishing of all of creation for the glory of God. That as men and as women, God created us unique from all of the other animals and created us unique from all of the rest of his creation and gave us a purpose. And part of that purpose is shouldering a responsibility. It's not to take a vacation, it's to take up responsibility. And that responsibility, again, is that we promote growth we promote Christian growth in our homes. We promote growth in culture and in society. That we're working toward the betterment of those things. That we promote order. That's part of the reason why we are so strong on biblical marriage, which I talked about last week, and biblical gender, which I talked about the week before that. Because it's got part of God's created order. And part of my cultural mandate is to maintain God's order. We're not here to fight against all of culture. We're here to fight for God's order. And human flourishing. We believe, and I've said this every week, that the lens that we have to look at transgender issues through, the lens that we have to look at marriage issues through, the lens that we have to look through even environmentalism through, the lens that we have to look at the roles of men and women today through, is the role that God desires human flourishing. That like a good father, God wants what's best for his kids. Remember we talked about that the first week, that God is great and glorious, but he's also good and he is gracious. That because he is those things, he, like a good father, wants what's best for his kids. That the rules and the guidelines that we see in Scripture are not there because God wants to suppress us, but because God wants life to flourish. That's what we see in the first two chapters of Genesis, is flourishing life. And so as man and woman, as mankind, we are God's vice regents. The people that he has placed in charge. The rulers that he has placed here. And especially, I would argue, as Christians, that God has placed us at this place in history to be those people. 
how do we fulfill the cultural mandate? How do we fulfill growth and order and flourishing for the glory of God? There are aspects of ingenuity. God has made people creative. That's one of the things that separates us from the animals, by the way. You're like, well, my dog's kind of creative, right? Cats, I'll let you deal with that. But God's made people creative on purpose so that we can use that creativity to do what God's called us to do. Some of you are very creative people. Maybe that's musically creative, artistically creative. I've watched some of you build things and the, like, the job that you do with that. Some of you are creative as parents, and that's really impressive and special. But God has created us to have some levels of like ingenuity and thinking about things. And that's part of the way that we fulfill God's commands. There's another way. It's, it's called productivity. That God desires for people and for Christians to be productive members of society. Our view of work is going to come out of that. Like you can establish a theology of work from the Bible. That God has created us to be productive and not lazy. That there are a multiplicity of ways that that takes place. And that God has given this command to both men and women, I think, is important. Some of the really practical hows of doing what God has called us to do, the cultural mandate, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. Here's some really practical implications. Number one, have kids. Come on, it's okay. If you say amen, it's not going to be weird. Well, it might be, right? But have kids, right? God has called us to that. And, and why do I even have to say that? Because we live in a culture today where Christian and non-Christian alike are pushing that off and pushing that off and pushing that off. And people who are capable and able to have children are waiting until they're 20, 25, 30, 35. I mean, the Andersons waited until they were over 40. And that's amazing. They didn't wait, but they've got another one on the way. They're just obeying scripture, Michael. Way to go, buddy. I love it. Right? But you look at the statistics like, do the research, and you see that because we don't want to take responsibility, that we want to have all the fun first. You know, that that's the thing with, like, millennials, and, and I won't get into too much of this. I, I won't, like, you know, rabbit trail. But in people that are, like, the generation before me and a few generations before me, you had this idea that you had to, like, work first and then retire. And it's a novel concept, but you work, and you work for it, and then you retire, and then you have fun. It's flip-flop today where people think, you know what, I'm going to retire first. And then we'll spend, you know, until we're like, you know, in our late 30s and things like that. We'll just party and have a lot of fun. And then we'll figure out the kid thing and the responsibility thing and the paying off credit card debt thing and all of that. There's actually biblical grounding for why that's not okay. But having kids is a part of the cultural mandate. And you guys are so biblical that our nursery and our kids' ministry is overflowing. Right? And that's why we need more volunteers. This is a good time to plug. <laughs> no. But honestly, having kids, and, and then there's another piece to that, isn't there? Because there are many who are like, we would love to, to obey that cultural mandate. And we've been trying, but God has not blessed us in that way. And I think that adopting kids is such a huge piece of this. Like I have family members who are adopted. My wife's mom is adopted, and her Lindsay's brother has adopted several children. Like, this is a huge, important piece. As a matter of fact, if you think about it like this, if the abortion laws go the way that we want them to go, we're going to need a lot more people ready to adopt some kids, aren't we? You guys, that's part of the cultural mandate. 
Maybe God's putting that on your heart. Maybe God's calling you to that, to adopt a kid or some children. Like, there's divine purpose in that calling. And if you're sitting in here today and you were adopted, like, you know there's divine purpose in that calling. That's only one little piece of it, though. This happens with married people and with single people. This happens with stay-at-home moms and working family members. This happens when dads go out and work blue-collar jobs. This happens when dads go out and work white-collar jobs. This happens when men and women work in politics and science and technology and engineering and mathematics and all of those different careers. Because we believe that men and women have a role to play in creating culture. And that as we do what God has called us to do, that the cultural mandate is being fulfilled. That we're taking responsibility for growth and for order, for flourishing of creation to the glory of God. And that's what he's put on our hearts and, and called us to do. This happens at home. This happens at church. And this happens in society. You see, the Bible is very clear about how, how home should be run. And we'll get into that today and maybe some more even later. That how, how home flourishes. God's very clear about how life in church is to flourish. And God's clear about how life in our society is meant to flourish. And part of that is as men and women take responsibility for the roles that God has given them and go and live in a way that is good. In fulfilling the cultural mandate, a big piece of this is the idea that we would be contributors and not just consumers. That as Christians, God has called us to be contributors to society. To be making things better. As we see in chapter 2, and we'll go through it even more, that that's a, a big piece of what God has called us to do. Is to be contributors and not just to consume. We live in a consumer culture, church. We live in a consumer culture. What's in it for me? I'll serve you if I get something out of it. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? And scripture calls us to be People who are contributing to the good of society. And so the last piece then of the cultural mandate, if we extrapolate to the New Testament, the cultural mandate is directly tied to something called the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. That the way that Christians make culture better is by sharing the gospel, by spreading the gospel. We can do a lot of humanitarian good. We can, be in, we can have ingenuity and creativity. We can have productivity. But if there's not a spiritual aspect to that, and we're not sharing the gospel, guess what? We're not fulfilling the cultural mandate, the Great Commission. God has put each of you in a place where you have opportunity to do that. Men at work. Ladies at work. Men at home. Ladies at home single people, married people, people who are in difficult relationship situations. God has given us opportunities to invite someone to church, to share the gospel with someone, to do good things for other people. And in that way, we're fulfilling what God has called us to in Genesis 1, 28, to take responsibility for growth and order. And the only way that culture will really flourish is by understanding and accepting the gospel of Jesus. So that's the first piece. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Like, we can get behind that. Like, we have a purpose. We're excited about that. That's awesome. Then we move to chapter 2. And what chapter 2 is going to talk about is how men and women relate to each other as we do this. Men and women are equal 
in relation to their identity and their value and their personhood and their purpose. God has clearly given men and women different roles and responsibilities to play as we act out what we just talked about. So Genesis 1, 26 and following gives us the big purpose. Genesis 2 hones in on how do we accomplish that purpose. It's not a separate account of creation. It's the same account with a different emphasis. And it helps us by zeroing in on men and then zeroing in on women. How do men fulfill their roles and responsibilities? How do women fulfill their roles and responsibilities? And church, this is pivotal. This is pivotal for how we understand human flourishing, how we understand God's design. And I'll say this, we're looking at Genesis 2 for some foundation. And we'll look at what God has to say to men. We'll look at what God has to say to women. This will not answer all of our questions about biblical manhood and womanhood. You would need to take an entire biblical theology to understand that. What does this text, Genesis 2, say about singleness? Honestly, not much. You need to go to 1 Corinthians 7, 25 and following to see what Paul says about singleness. There are seasons of singleness and there's a gift of singleness. And both of those can be used for God's purposes. But Genesis 2 doesn't talk a lot about that. This won't answer all of our questions on that age-old question. Should women work outside the home or should they only serve and work in the home? This isn't going to answer that. Now, my wife and Lauren's wife both have jobs outside the home. So do with that what you may. But you've got to go to Titus 2 and some other places to really figure that one out. Some of you are going to hear this and you're going to say, man, that would be great, ladies. You're going to say that would be great if my husband was following the Lord. But he's not. This isn't going to answer those questions. You've got to go to 1 Peter chapter 3 to answer some of those questions. But what this does is gives us a foundation on what has God called the man to? What has God called woman to? What are the roles and responsibilities for each? So we'll look at chapter 2. We'll start in verse 4. Next week we'll look at Genesis 2, 1 through 3. This week, Genesis 2, starting verse 4. And we're going to look at the role of the man. So in verse 4, it says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. The Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And when there was no man to work the ground. Now this is before the fall. This is before sin. It's important to recognize that work came before the fall. I knew you were going to get out of bed tomorrow morning and you're going to be like, thanks, Satan, now I have to go to work today. All right? Satan and sin is the reason why your work is hard, but God gave work to people. And it says, there was no man to work the ground. Verse 6, the mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then verse 7, the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Now, Pop quiz, who was created here? Man. Now, chapter 1 talks, uses the word man, and it means mankind. Is that the same thing here? No, this is different, right? Same word, but different. Context makes it clear that the man was created first. This is important because there are some implications. In the Hebrew culture, especially, like the people who would have originally been reading this, they had something called the law of primogeniture. It was the idea that the firstborn male carried a greater load of authority and responsibility. 
that the firstborn male, we all think, oh, he gets all the inheritance, but he also got all the responsibility. That in that day, multi-generational families relied on that firstborn male to care for. When dad passed away, then the next man was up. The idea that man was created first here, something struck me this week that's never struck me before. God could have done several things. The slate is blank at this point. God could have very easily, he's God, he can do whatever he wants. He could have created one dude and put him there and been like, it's all you, bro. And then 18 and following didn't even need to exist. God could have created the man, the male, and been like, okay, I'm good with that. God could have created two dudes. He did not do that, did he? Right? There wasn't Adam and Steve. I know, my name's Steve. I met another Steve today, sorry. Right? He didn't put two guys in the garden together, and we know that men get work done together well, but he didn't do that. Do you know what else he could have done? Right here, in chapter 2, verse 7, he could have created man and woman at the same time and popped them right down there together. Did he do that? No, he didn't do that. You see, we're reading literature that's supposed to help us understand some important things. He created man first. He created man to take some responsibility. He created man to have authority. And when I say authority, I don't want you to think domination or dominion in that way. I want you to think authority in terms of like a heavy weight of authority and a heavy weight of responsibility. If we do authority properly, men, it's a heavy weight of responsibility, isn't it? If I do authority in my family the way that I'm supposed to, it's a heavy weight of responsibility. Any joker can have dominion. Any joker can have domination in his home. That is not authority. God creates man first, and he gives him that authority and responsibility. Verse 8, it says, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. So God looks at his creation, and he planted a garden. Mr. Jewell probably loves this text because Mr. Jewell has an amazing garden. He's like, see, God was a gardener, and so I'm just being like God, and that's cool. But he creates a garden. And then it says this, And he put the man, and there he put the man whom he had formed. I want you to see in verse 8 that God intentionally gave the man a domain. He intentionally gave the man a space. He was going to be responsible for that space. The man. There's no woman yet. There's a man. And the man is responsible for that space. God planted it and said, here it is. And then he takes the man and he puts, it, puts him there and he gives him a space. Man, we were created to take responsibility for a space. We were created to take responsibility. There, there's a reason why men flourish when we have something to do with our hands. There's a reason why men flourish when we have something to do with our lives and we have a space and we say, this is our space and we're going to deal with this space. Now, if you live in a home with lots of ladies, such as I do, all right, you live in a home with a lot of ladies, you get a small space and you guard that space well. Even if it's the garage, the basement, your office, you're going to guard that space. But here's what I do know, that my home and that area is my responsibility. That God has given me that space. No matter how it's decorated, no matter how it smells, no matter any of those things, how, much, how many hair bands I find. Wow, right? That God has given me that space. And as I take responsibility for that space, flourishing happens. 
He moves down through a few. We're going to skip some verses. Verse 15 is a pivotal verse. So God created the man first. He gave him responsibility. He created him and put him in the garden to give him a domain. In verse 15, it says this, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, just like we saw, to do what? To work it and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. A couple different words that are important here. The word work means to till the ground, to make things better. There's a variety of usages for it. But to till the ground is a, is a big idea. And to care for that. To keep it actually means to protect. And you think, well, protect it from what? Because this was like before the fall of man. But God was the one who did this. And he knew that there would be protection needed. Now I'd like to point out a few things. Number one, God gave man a job and not a vacation. Okay? Like, sometimes we think Eden, paradise, man didn't have to work. It was so amazing. Wouldn't it be great if we lived there as well? It's like, you know, you could go to Maui and just not ever have anything to do. But God gave man a job and not just a vocation. As a matter of fact, Genesis 2.15 is the place where we would start if we were going to build a theology of vocation, a theology of work, that God created man and put him in that space to work, to cultivate, to make things better. This is God giving man a sense of purpose. To work and to keep. He gave man a job. We'll talk about that in a minute, that he gave him a job and not a vacation. We'll talk about what the job looked like. But I'd like to point out one other thing. Genesis 2.15, God gave man a job. When did God give man a woman? 2.18. Ladies, this is really important. Before God gave man a woman, what did he give man? A job. Guys, there's an application here, right? There we go. And let me say this, okay? We laugh, we joke. I get it. There are reasons at times when a guy can't work. Like, I get it. There, there could be disabilities. I want to be serious about this, right? Because there can be like a disability situation. There can be like, look, I'm out of work for a little while kind of a situation. I am in no way knocking that, Okay, I want to be clear about that. But what I think we're talking about here is, is, is that person, does that person have a, a proclivity, a, a, a desire to work? Or are they always training to be a professional video gamer? Right? Like, I'm not excited when the guy comes to my house and he wants to date my daughter. And I said, what are your plans for your career? And he's like, well, I've been training. Training for what? To, like, pick up the burden? No, actually, there's this video game league, and I really think I'm, I'm going to make it. Like, I need a better plan than that, right? At the end of the day, we laugh and we joke, but at the end of the day, like, what we really need, and I love it when I see young men, some of these guys up here, like, working, right? And, and a desire to take responsibility, to take the responsibility for work, to take the responsibility for going out and, and having the job. Why is that? Because we're misogynistic and we think only the men should do No. Because it's God's design for human flourishing, for men to take that responsibility. I love it when I see a guy who maybe is out of work and he's doing everything he can to try to make ends meet. I love it when we see people who, are, who understand that, like, hey, maybe my wife has, like, a real skill in this particular area. And so she's going to be involved in that particular area. And a lot of my work is going to happen at home. And maybe a lot of my work is going to happen. I, I've seen guys do a great job of homeschooling their children, Okay. I've seen guys do a really good job of some of those things. I'm not here to, to cast aspersions. I'm not here either to like make concrete rules about what can and can't be done. 
outside of what Scripture has to say. But what I do see from Genesis 2 is that a man will have a desire to work. That a man will have a desire and a proclivity and moving forward to work. That's part of how he cultivates. When it says that he took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it, the words cultivate and protect should be in our minds. Cultivate and protect. I want you to think about cultivating. I grew up adjacent to farmland. We had a, a trailer in the little woods. There was a piece of farmland beside us and a piece of farmland in front of us. And every year when the time was right, the farmer would get on his John Deere tractor because that's the right kind of tractor. Amen, Mr. Jewel. There you go. He would get in his tractor and he would attach the, uh, the tilling, I don't even know what they're called, but those things that till, you know, the blades or something. And he would attach those to the tractor and he would start driving it back and forth on the field. And the cool thing was is that as the land had, had been just dormant all winter, it had become useless for planting. And you could see it. But it used to be really cool to watch as these guys would till these huge fields. And what, laid in, what was out in front of them was useless soil. But what was behind them was fertile, was ready to be planted, was ready to be grown. And you can actually see the difference if you've watched it, right? You can see this like crusty light brown with rocks and weeds and all those things. And behind it, this rich dark brown soil. Oftentimes seagulls and other birds are flying around behind the tiller because of uh, the nutrients and because of worms and all those things. That's a beautiful picture of what a man's life is meant to be. That out in front of us is just a lot of carnage and chaos. And God has called us to cultivate the world around us, to make that world better. And so as I look behind me, what I should see is better than what I see in front of me. If it's at home, I should see behind me better things than I see out in front of me. If it's at my work, I should see behind me better because I've been there than what's out in front of me because I haven't been there yet. At church, it should be better because I'm there and fulfilling God's call on my life and God's mandate on my life. That's what it means to cultivate. You can cultivate your wife. You can cultivate your... No, no, don't run over her with like, you know, a tractor. Bad idea, right? But if I am... If, if I am helping my wife to flourish in the way that God has, has called me to do, things are going to be better as it goes along. Marriage is going to be better. She's going to be better as life goes along. Same thing with your kids, your church, your job. You guys, that is, isn't that an amazing calling? Like, isn't that something that you want to live for, guys? Like, our culture is telling you to go to work for eight hours a day, come home, drink a couple beers, go to sleep, and then get up and do it all over again. Like you have a divine calling in your work. Isn't that like something to get excited about? You can wake up tomorrow and go to that job and be like, oh, but God called me here. How can I make life better? That is divine calling, man. That is so much more to live for. As God's man, we have so much to live for. The other side of it is the, the keeping aspect or the protecting aspect. And again, you can think about that in, in terms of home security, Right? That for most of us, the responsibility for home security, were something bad to go down, would probably fall on the husband. Now look, ladies, some of you are probably way better shots than your husband. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. At all, my suggestion would be use him as body armor, and then you take the shot because that's his job, right? If I would say this, if a guy, if, if somebody breaks into your house and you're like, "Honey, get your gun and go," I'll be in the bedroom on nine one one. Probably a bad idea, right? 
If you're hiding behind your wife while the guy comes into the house, that might be egalitarian. I don't think it's biblical. But protecting is so much more than that. How do we protect our families and what they are exposed to on TV and the social media? How do we protect our family with relation to where we bring them to church? How do we protect our family with the spiritual input that goes into their lives? So many different things. You guys, as the, as the parent of a public school student, like I'm wrestling with that right now. Like we have a philosophy for why our girls are where they're at, but I am wrestling with that in our current climate, like this culture right now. How do I protect my family? This is something that we, we all wrestle with as men. God's called us to do that. He gave them a domain. He gave them a purpose. Look at verse 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. This is called the divine command. God gave man the divine command. I didn't even realize this until a few weeks ago in, in Lauren's workshop. Woman wasn't even created yet when God gave man that divine command. As we get to Genesis 3, we'll see how Satan twists that and attacks the woman, and all kinds of carnage ensue. But isn't it interesting that she wasn't even there to hear it when God gave it to the man? Whose responsibility was it to convey that divine command? It was the man's. You see, men, God has created us for spiritual leadership. God has created you and me as men for spiritual leadership. You may be the quiet one in your household. That's okay. You may be the one with less biblical knowledge and understanding in your household. That's, that's okay. Are you willing to grasp that leadership? To say, you know what? We're going to go to church. You know what? We're going to follow the Lord. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Taking that spiritual leadership. God created us. He entrusted us as spiritual leaders. Guys, what an amazing calling. What a noble calling to be entrusted with spiritual leadership of our families. In verses 19 and 20, I won't read them, but it talks about how man was given the task of naming the animals before, women, before the woman show, showed up, was created. That's bringing order to creation. As man named those animals, he was bringing order. That's something else that God has created men to do, is to continue to bring order Man, I would submit to you that that's something worth living for. That the idea that God has created us with a, a place and a purpose, that God has given us spiritual responsibility, that God has called us to bring order, guys, that is a divine calling. Let us be men that take up that mantle. Let us realize that there will not be any of us who are perfect. But let us take up that mantle. Verses 18 through 25 talk about then the need for a woman. And I would say this, that, that, that these verses say much more to the man than they do to the woman. This is a lot more about what God has called men toward than what he's called women toward. But there are some things to see there. In verse 18 and following, we talked about it last week. God said, it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Man was alone in the responsibility that God had given him. This helper, as I said last week, was an indispensable partner in fulfilling that job. Did you guys know that God has created men and women differently? Did you know that? Like, look around. That's weird, isn't it? And can, let's just state some of the obvious things. I haven't gotten myself in trouble yet today, so let's state some of the obvious things. 
God has created men and women different physically. Okay? Multiple ways you could go with that. The one that I'm thinking is arm wrestling. I'm pretty sure that there's probably a lady or two in here that could take me in arm wrestling if we, like, you know, just got up here and got after it. Maybe, right? But generally speaking, can we just say something that culture doesn't want us to say? Men were generally created physically stronger than women, okay? This is part of God's design, okay? When you look, you took all the strength of all the men and all the physical strength of all the women, like, God has generally created us with a, with a stronger, like, power ratio, right? So it's not misogynistic to walk up to a guy and be like, can you take the lid off of this? Like, that's God's design, okay? You could smack it and beat on it and do whatever you need to do with it if you need to, okay? But God has created men and women physically different. Can we also say that he's created us psychologically different? Can I say that? Yes, thank you, right? Yes, and this is okay. I feel like, like nobody wants to say it, that men and women are, like, think differently, right? No, let me, let me scratch that. When we talk to men, we say, what do you think? Right, if I go to JC, JC, what do you think about, if I talk to Chrissy, you know what I'm going to say? Chrissy, how do you feel? Yeah. Men and women think and feel differently. And people freak out about this. No, they're the same. Like, have you lived with them? This is good. This is so good. If my wife thought the same way I thought all the time, oh, right? She has these things called feelings. And they're really helpful in parenting girls. They're really helpful in pastoring a church. Could it be that God's design is that men and women think about things differently? Did you know that men and women were created emotionally different? Like, as a general rule, they were created emotionally different. And I did not say that one was better than the other. I just said that they were created different. Could it be that all of this is God's design? That God actually had a purpose and a grand understanding of what he was trying to accomplish? This is not a cultural stigma. This is not a patriarchal, misogynistic, cultural stigma that's just been foisted upon us because of how we are and our ancestors. This is God's design, and it is okay, and I would say it actually promotes human flourishing. It promotes the betterment of men and women when we understand and say, yes, physically we're different, psychologically we're different, emotionally we're different, and a lot of other ways we're different. That's exactly how God designed it, because we're interdependent on one another. That in a marriage and in a society in general, that we need both men and women doing what God has called them to do and being who God has called them to be. That's part of God's design. Interesting in those verses, and again, not, without reading them at all, you see that God made the woman from the man. God made the woman for the man. That there's a great, there's a partnership, and there is some authority that's there between the men and women. There's like some explicit authority in that. That the woman was given to the man. We talked about that last week, down at the end. That man, was, that God brought the woman and gave her to the man. That signifies responsibility. That as I said last week, when my wife became my wife, that was a responsibility for me to steward well. The woman was named by the man. I really believe that that shows the importance of leadership. And again, I don't want you to think of things like dominion. I don't want you to think of authority as like this domination idea. 
but as a responsibility that God has given us and called us to take. Men and women are equal, absolutely, but they are oh so different. Amen? A woman? No, just kidding. That was a trick. So, so, so here's, here, here's what it is. God has given mankind, men and women, the responsibility of bringing order and growth and flourishing together. God has given men the, the role of accepting leadership in that. God has given women the opportunity to, and the noble responsibility of partnering with men and fulfilling her roles and duties in that as well. The New Testament uses these verses that we read today as the building block for what it terms headship and submission, for roles in the home and roles in the church. There are several places, and I'm not going to get into that today, but I did on our sermon supplement. I, I listed just a bunch of resources and a bunch of passages for you to think through and study some of those different issues. But what I want to say today in closing is this, is, is I want to make a plea. First of all, I want to talk to you guys, to us as men. Like, in our culture today, God needs godly men. We've been given an incredible opportunity. What we need is godly men who, first of all, will reject the satanic lies of our culture regarding manhood. Like, God is attacking the church, and he's attacking the family, and he's attacking culture. Satan is attacking all of those things by attacking biblical manhood. That looks like the stereotype of, of the machismo guy. The guy that you have to be this strong and drive this thing and have these exploits and do all of this in order to be a man. But the other way that it's creeping in is that man is an idiot idea, right? Watch any TV show. I'll give you a, a little fun assignment. If you watch TV, watch, it, watch TV shows and see how many times that they show man as some sort of an idiot like who has no idea or is just completely absent versus the amount of times that they not even talking about christian but just show them as somebody who's competent like there's a message that's being preached to you guys there's a message that's being preached to all of us about what manhood really looks like this androgynous like pseudo manhood that culture is portraying that is somehow wrong to be a biblical man and what we need is that men would would reject that that we would fight the cultural phobia of biblical manhood. There's this cultural phobia to what God has called us to, you guys. Like, it's not okay. In the same way as, like, the transgender stuff, the same thing is happening with biblical manhood. If I just try to do and live out what I just preached today, people are going to freak out about it. And we have got to fight that and not be fearful of what people are going to think if we live the way that God intended us to live because we know that's what's best for all of those people. Be a contributor, not a consumer. Pick up the weight of spiritual authority and responsibility. Like, that's what God talk is talking about. Picking up that massive, think about a huge backpack. And you put it on, and you put in the responsibility of your wife. You put in the responsibility of your kids if, they've, if God's given them to you. And you put in the responsibility of your job, and your home, and your church, and all of those. And you pick up that backpack, and you put it on, and you say, this is a good weight to carry. And God made me a man to carry this weight. And I have great purpose when I'm carrying this weight. And I'm excited to carry this weight. And thank you, God, for this weight. And I will carry it the best I can to the glory of God. Put a Bible in that backpack, by the way, and get it out all the time and read it. Read about what it means to be a biblical man. Read about biblical men and realize even the best of them weren't perfect. There was one perfect biblical man. 
The rest of them had a lot of deep issues, which gives the rest of us a lot of hope. But shoulder that. Ladies, we need godly women as well. We need you to reject the demeaning lies of cultural feminism. The feminism is, that is saying, you know what, men are idiots and they need you to save them. Or, do you know what, that backpack is as much yours to carry as it is theirs. Or, you know what, you should carry it for them. You have to reject that. We need biblical women who will reject the idea that they're somehow being oppressed and depressed and pushed down when a man is trying to do what God has called him to do and be a biblical man. Reject that. Embrace the noble and honorable calling that God has given you because he has big things for you at home, in the church, and in society. Find those places and embrace that. Ultimately, you know what we need? Christians. Like Christians are needed, Christian men and Christian women. We can't live what God has called us to live, embrace the roles and responsibility he's called us to embrace without first giving our life to Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you can be motivated to be a better man, motivated to be a better woman. But I want you first to become a Christian. I want you to acknowledge that you are a sinner and your sin separates you from God. I want you to believe that Jesus died in your place for your sins to save you. And I want you to confess him as your Savior and Lord. Then I want you to get on the path of being the person that God has designed and called you to be. We need men, we need women, and we need Christians. Let's move forward in that. Join me as we pray, and we'll sing one more song together. Father, thank you again for your word and the incredible challenge that it is to us every day, every week. Thank you for how it touches on these all-important issues. And Father, we trust that you are a great God, that you have a better idea for what you want to do in your world than we do. And we're thankful for being called to be part of it. Father, I, I pray for the men who are sitting in front of me and who are online. Um, God, I, I pray that you would help us to shoulder that responsibility. And Father, be excited about having that purpose that you have given us. God, would that motivate us? Would that challenge us in a positive way? That as we see ourselves as your sons, that we would be excited about the calling that you've given us. And no matter what's been in our past, that our future could be one of following you and leading other people in your direction. And God, for the ladies who are in this room, young, middle-aged, older ladies, we are so thankful for the gift that they are. We're thankful that you created them differently from us as men. That you've given them a divine calling. And I pray that they would embrace it and live into it as well. Father, for the person who is here who is not a Christian, would you keep working on their heart? In Jesus' name.